Hello, hungry kitties and jive turkeys and all the ships at sea, and welcome to A Very Good Year, the movie podcast where we invite a guest to pick their favorite year of movies and talk to us about that year. I'm your host, Jason Bailey, and across the mic and across the country from me is my co-host, Michael Hull. Our guest today is, and I know I say this a lot, but you know what? We don't invite bad writers on the show. Uh, Just one of our favorite writers on the planet. Uh, His beat covers everything from men's fashion to books to bagels, and his byline has appeared at GQ, New York Magazine's Grub Street, Esquire, Rolling Stone, The New Yorker, The Paris Review, and many more, as well as at Flavor Wire, where we work together once upon a time. Uh, He's the author of the books The Sprawl, Reconsidering the Weird American Suburbs, and Searching for John Hughes. And if you're not subscribing to his Substack newsletter, The Melt, well, shame on you. Folks, please welcome the handsome, the hirsute, the delightful Jason Diamond. Hey, buddy. That is the best intro anybody could ask for. (laughs) I really appreciate that. Hey, you're welcome. Well, we're so glad to have you on the show. Um, I will tell you that, that... Jason got one of the really good years. And part of that reason is because we talked about it months ago. And I was like, I'm, I'm holding this. I'm holding this one till we get towards the end of the season. Cause I knew we were going to have a good time with it. So tell us about the year that you're going to talk about and why it's so special to you. So, you know, it's, it's funny because I always tell people I, I, I was born in like the most boring year in 1980 <laughs> Meaning uh-huh. I didn't really, I didn't experience any of the seventies and the eighties were my childhood. So like, yeah, anything from the eighties that I like, it's probably, there's something from seeing it when I was a little kid that was like, Ooh, that's really cool. Sure. But I think sure. so like since, since I came of age in the nineties, mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a thing that a lot of nineties kids can kind of look at and say, Oh yeah, that's true. And that's, I was really influenced by the seventies. Cause it's like, if yeah. you listen to the beastie boys, they're always mentioning seventies stuff. Or if you listen to mm-hmm. Dr. Dre, it's all samples from the seventies or you watch right. Quentin Tarantino films and uh, his obsession with seventies cinema or, you know, link ladder with right. days and confused. So I don't know. The seventies just kind of looms large. And this year it was when you were like, I'll oh, pick five. I was like, Oh, that's easy. Uh, and then I, I, I've never had just a, such a meltdown trying to do anything in my life because there's so many movies from this year that I love. But then I was like, OK, these five definitively. Uh, okay. so. All right. And so that year is 1973. Beautiful, beautiful. OK, a, a, a hallmark year of 70s cinema um and you seem particularly in in your writing and you know just in your persona really tuned into the vibe of of 70s cinema so like you know what is it about that era that's so special and 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 what was your process of sort of discovering it well i think you know there's there's always that like uh the easy riders raging bulls thing that kind of started mm-hmm. in the 60s and if you read, I think the book sort of, uh, you know, it kind of goes into the later seventies, but by like 77, 78, it was like, everything was getting big sure. box office. There's this like nice little middle ground, I think in the middle, in like the early to mid part of the decade where I don't know, they they just got, the movies got so weird and yeah. it kind of like laid the groundwork for everything for better or worse. And, you know, this year, especially, cause it's like, you know, you have, 
you have kind of the rise of more like African-American actors and you have these very hairy Jewish guys acting and you have, (laughs) it's like a really interesting to me. It's just like everything good and bad, but even the bad is kind of good. Uh, Yes. You know, it's, it's just such a good era. And um, that year, this year in particular, it's just like, it's crazy. Like how much I, um, I don't know. It's funny because like we'll talk about the films, but I just uh, I, I I started getting into movies just kind of the way anybody I think else did my age where it was like, I'm I'm just going to pay attention to what the older kids like um, mm-hmm. the cool older kids. And I, you know, I grew up in Chicago, which, you know, anybody who's lived there, or visited there a lot can tell you like people you could say a lot of things about Chicago, but people take their, I, I hate to say pop culture, but they do. They take their pop culture mm-hmm. so seriously because mm-hmm. it's so cold and miserable. It's such a corrupt city. <laughs> um, you know, there's, it's hot in the summer. So you, you have, you know, it's not as easy to get around New York. You're kind of like stuck sometimes and you just really grow this appreciation for things. And so, I would go to like reckless records or I'd go to, uh, Oh my gosh, the myopic books or any of the old movie stores that used to rent VHS tapes. And I would just like, listen to people talk about things and I would act like I knew what they were talking about. But I, I always tell people, I'm like, you know, and one of the films we'll talk about is one of the great mispronunciations of my life. But, um, like for like probably two years of my life, I was really like, I like Albert Camus. I like Camus. He's one of my favorite. You know, I was like that kind of kid. Uh, just yeah. like not really, but I was really curious. And so I would listen and eventually I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm an idiot. I was saying that wrong, but I really like his books. And that's just sort of how I discover everything. And um, this particular era, I think the seventies were so close enough in our, timeline in the in the you know mid 90s when i was a teenager that uh it was still easy to find movies from from the time okay well we're gonna get to this really like four star uh top five list but before we do mike is gonna walk us through uh some of the things that were happening in the world outside of the chicago used books and record stores uh here are headlines that's the news When we met here four years ago, America was bleak in spirit, depressed by the prospect of seemingly endless war abroad and of destructive conflict at home. As we meet here today, we stand on the threshold of a new era of peace in the world. Nineteen seventy-three got off to a shit start when, on January twentieth, Richard Nixon became the only person to ever be sworn in as both vice president and president twice. Boo, boo, boo. tricky dick, boo. <laughs> anyway, it wasn't going to go well for him. So no, no, we can be yeah, you know, by that. right, right. That's you know, we we have the benefit of history. We have we're we're <laughs> we're looking back. Yeah, Richard Nixon, you'll get you'll get yours. All right. <laughs> Later that month, we signed the Paris Peace Accords and started the process of leaving Vietnam, a subject much too big for this five-minute headline Mm, section. Correct. 
In February, the Israeli Air Force shot down a civilian airliner, Libyan Arab Airlines Flight 114, killing 108 people. Jesus. Uh, They came up with some shitty excuses. But it was so egregious and unnecessary, it became a rare point of agreement between the U.S. and the USSR, who both condemned the murders. That is that so, was not not common that we were on the same yeah, wow. page in, on on anything in seventy three. Wow. In April, Martin Cooper of Motorola made the first cell phone call. Jesus, in nineteen seventy three. Wow, and he was super pissed because it was just a robocall asking about his car's <laughs> warranty. It was so <laughs> fucked up. Six five four three one zero, and we have a liftoff. The Skylab lifting off the pad now, moving up. Skylab has cleared the tower. In May, NASA launched Skylab, the U.S.'s first space station. And uh, not necessarily as a country, but as a as a human race, we've had peoples up there pretty much ever since. Hooray so for nicely that. done. Yeah, yeah, shout out to space stations. Huh? Hooray for NASA, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Soviets actually... I kept quite a few of those calendar days with X's on them. Uh, but but we've been working together for quite a while, too. So Yay. here's to that. In July, things really started falling apart for Nixon. Remember I said that wasn't going to go well for him? Right, right. Former yes. White House aide Alexander Butterfield dropped a dime on the recording devices in the Oval Office. That kicked that whole Watergate situation into high gear, which yes. we don't really get into this year until, you know, because that really fell apart next year. But right. the Butterfield moment was was crucial. Can, can I just say, looking back at this, these guys sound like master criminals compared to the stuff I'm watching on the news right now. I'm just like, man, they really they had a whole thing and it just somebody screwed up. But like, it's really funny to like think about that because they're like the biggest schmucks in American history up until now. Until now. Yeah. And now they're just getting soaked on that score. Yeah. Just absolutely <laughs> absolutely house no yeah 74 we we did you can folks you can listen to the 74 show and hear more about when the shit really hit the fan on watergate but 73 this is mostly just like you know michelle williams singing love songs into his uh white house tape recorder that's what i remember in september chile's democratically elected president salvador allende was murdered and fascist general augusto pinochet took over the government in a u.s-backed coup henry kissinger is still somehow both alive and proud of this bullshit (laughs) Yeah, this is uh, this is not our finest hour as a nation, Michael. Mm-mm. Nope. Joe F. Moore, president of Bonner and Moore Associates in Houston, also said there is no possibility that energy will be an adequate supply before 40 or 50 years. This man also said world wars among big powers are quite possible to control dwindling oil supplies. Well, right or wrong, oil prices are moving definitely upward. In the Dallas area today, dealers raised prices to more than 40 cents a gallon. In October, the OPEC oil embargo started triggering an energy crisis that would be big news in the U.S., almost as big as the cars we couldn't gas up anymore. Right. Yeah. See, when I was finding the audio drop for this, so it will probably already played by now, but boy, you will hear the shock in the reporter's voice that some stations were having to charge 40 cents a gallon. (laughs) 40 cents a gallon. How dare they? This is out of control. Yeah, but they had 50 gallon tanks. That's the other thing. (laughs) Yes. The boats. (laughs) Finally, in December, the Endangered Species Act was passed in the United States. And that seems good, right? 
Yeah. I don't even think I can come up with an cynical take on the Endangered Species Act. Well, here you go. A fucking Republican signed it. Like, that's how fucked shit is now. That a Republican president was like the na- the signature on that particular bill. Yes, there we go. Some people uh, who are turning 50 this year, right? Okay. Some, some yep. folks were born in 73. Sean Paul. Yep. Wow. Um, yeah, shout out to white reggae singers, I guess. <laughs> Uh, Lindsay Bluth, professionally known as Portia de Rossi, uh, Oscar de la Hoya, Joan Howard, Chris Weber, Jason Kidd, professional TV nerd Jim Parsons. 50. Professional real-life nerds Larry Page and Sergey Brin. Sure. Those guys are, like, retired, right? I mean, they're 50. Do they still do things? (laughs) They just spend all that Google money, right? Yeah, probably. Active. Rachel Maddow, uh, David Blaine, Pharrell Williams. Skateboard P, right? He still looks like 21. That's what happens yeah. when you don't smoke. Yep. Yeah. yeah. He looks great. He doesn't smoke. He probably drinks a lot of water. He uses yeah. uh, moisturizer. Sunscreen. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's got it figured out. Roberto yeah. Carlos, Jennifer Esposito, Adrian uh. Brody, Akon, Dimitri Martin, Heidi Klum, Neil Patrick Harris, who doesn't look 18, but looks 28. I mean, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, 50. that's. That's, I mean, he, he was, his big break was in a role where his primary distinguishing factor was that he was young. So I think we can feel old <laughs> young about doctor. him being 50. Yeah. Man. Just the youngest doctor. He's this crazy teen doctor, Mike. Can you imagine such a thing? Can you imagine? Juliette Lewis, Omar Epps, Kate Beckinsale, mm-hmm. Monica Lewinsky, uh, mm-hmm. former adult movie star, Asia Carrera, mm-hmm. current everybody movie star, Kristen, Kristen Wiig. And mm-hmm. finally, Dave Chappelle, Nas, and Most Def were all born in 1973. Shout out to 90s backpack rap, am I right? I'm also, yeah. Hey, I really didn't realize, like, everybody that influenced me somehow was born in 1970. I should have, this, <laughs> this is all coming together real nicely for me tonight. <laughs> Just realizing a lot of things. I, too, am a huge Asia Carrera fan, so I get where you're coming from. In sports, the Miami Dolphins beat the Washington Racists 14-7 to to complete the only perfect season in NFL history. This wow. is a very famous story in uh, NFL lore. Every year, the last team that is undefeated, when they get beat, whoever's still alive from the 73 Dolphins all call each other up and drink champagne. This is, a, this is famous lore in, in the NFL universe that I know you know nothing about, but I don't. that started so in 73. So. I enjoy that story. I don't even, and if I don't even know how true it is, but if it's not true, it should be. Uh, yeah, they they still claim it's true. Great. Hibernian beat Hearts at Tynecastle to win the Edinburgh Derby. No idea. Not going to tell you what sport that is because you don't care. <laughs> don't care. The A's beat the Mets to win the World Series, and the Knicks beat the Lakers to win the NBA Finals. Good games. Okay. Good games. All right. Yeah. Dick Walmarth, uh, Wilmarth won the Iditarod Trail Sled Dog Race behind lead dog Hotfoot, who I can virtually guarantee did not have hot feet. <laughs> that seems like a safe bet, yes. That's the point. It's snow, yes. right? Yes, yes, that's the point. It is. It is. I think he hurt Joe Frazier. I think Joe is hurt. Angie Dundee, Ali's trainer, right next to me, is saying it. You may hear him. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. Down goes Frazier. The heavyweight champion is taking the mandatory eight count, and Foreman is as poised as can be in a neutral corner. George Foreman beat Joe Frazier by knockout in the second round to become the world heavyweight champion and got himself in line to get punched in the fucking face by Muhammad Ali. (laughs) Questionable choices, in my opinion. 
Down goes Frazier. Down goes <laughs> Frazier. This is the down goes Frazier fight. I was yeah. so excited to find that clip. Down to goes do Frazier. Wow. Down goes Frazier. Yeah. This is a this is a theme of our show, which is that uh, if Jason knows about it, it's because there's a, like in the sports section. If Jason knows, it's because there's a documentary on it. That's right. So that's, that's right. He's. He's very well versed in the career of Muhammad Ali and virtually very nothing much. else. What is that? Once, very much. Is that once we were kings? Is that? No, that's. I mean, that's that's the event. That's, that's the, the lead one. up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. the yeah. lead up to. So yes, that would have been where I first saw that. Clip. It's a good one. This was uh, also the first ever HBO boxing telecast, wow. which was uh, a big deal in my nice. in my eighties uh, and nineties life. Yeah, very much so. That and finally, yeah. there was no World Cup in nineteen seventy three, but there was a Triple Crown winner. There's movies about this horse, even. Secretariat was yes. a very big deal in 1973. He set a bunch of records that still stand 50 years later. And mm-hmm. uh, you know what horses do after they win the Triple Crown. You know what they do for a living after that, right? Uh, they, 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 they breed. That's okay. what they, they, live, they live the for, good life. Yes, they do. For a living. Yes, yeah. they eat the finest, sweetest grass. <laughs> The athlete to gigolo pipeline. It's very good. It's very lucrative. Secretariat uh, went on to sire 663 named foals. Holy shit. When I say this guy got laid for a living, he went to fucking work. That's why I want to come back as. If I'm reincarnated, you send me. I'm going to do everything in my power to come back as a, a world champion racehorse. There you go. Well, the thing that you can do, it was estimated that his heart was because, uh, of course, they did a little, you know, a little chop him up afterwards to mm-hmm. see why he was the greatest horse ever. It was estimated his heart was two and a half times the average, the size of the average horse heart. Holy so shit. obviously that aids in pumping blood, aids in the muscles, everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, that trait is traced back to a horse named Eclipse that died in 1789. And they still know that that horse was literally in his sire line because horse people are deeply fucking weird yes so uh if you're making yourself a little reincarnation altar diamond i would recommend that you get a picture of uh you know a painting of eclipse you get some sort of an enlarged chicken heart maybe (laughs) sort of put some of these things together to help uh help specify your request that is sports and that's headlines thank you mike i'm just warming us up for wicker man baby i'm just fucking weird get nice and hot for wicker man Man. like a like a like a like a thing you're gonna put me in and light it on fire let's get it going (laughs) not to spoil anything jason diamond you ready to do a top five i am so ready all right so we had the 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 pre-show talk and uh and again, it's a thrill this late in the season to still have guests coming up with new organizing methodologies for their top five. Jason Diamond, how are we going to walk through these today? So how do we, what do we land on? It's, it's by, by, uh, autobiographical, autobiographical chronological. Yeah. So <laughs> I was really just thinking, I was like, how did these films? Cause like, honestly, like I'm not, I'm really not like like even one little percent going over like how important this year was to me. And it was like, these films mean so much to me. I was like, how did I get to these films? And I was like, this is the most interesting way to do it. I think so. 
Yeah. Yeah. And also, you know, as you mentioned, you're from Chicago, so it's a very uh, high fidelity way to organize, organize the records in your apartment that are the movies in your life. And we are here for that. (laughs) So in autobiographical chronological order, what is the first film on your top five of 1973? The first one I'm going to go with is Coffee. They call her Coffee. Because if you jab her, she'll cream you. This is the end of your rotten life. Coffee. The baddest one-chick hit squad that ever hit town. All your friends are dead. Why kill them all? Coffee. She's got a body men would die for. And lately, a lot of them have. Because that was the first one of these movies I saw. And I've been obsessed with... Pam, I will. Be, I'm just gonna lay it out there. Pam Greer. Yeah. I'm not trying to like. Uh, Pam Greer is like a top three to yeah. five all time most beautiful movie star mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I just rewatched Jackie Brown a few months ago, and I was like, Oh yes, this is like she is like criminally underrated as an yes. actress. It's crazy. Correct. Um, Correct. But um, yes, she is. Coffee is just like I. So like going back to what we were talking about with like, you know, you would turn on MTV and there'd be all these like, like callbacks to like you. I didn't realize it at the time, but like, sure. Superfly or, you know, Pam Mm -hmm. Greer or all these different, you know, and I remember I found out that there was something called black exploitation. And I thought I was like, that doesn't sound good. Like I just remember (laughs) automatically thinking I'm like, because uh, I remember this guy going, I really like kung fu movies and black exploitation, and I was like, "Haven't we done enough exploitation?" Um, <laughs> Historically um, speaking, yeah. Uh, so it yeah. just—it I didn't even want to say it for months. I remember, and then <laughs> I um I went to a video store, like one of those like weird, cool video stores that was like around for like nine months and (laughs) they they i don't remember where it was but i just i I remember they had a black exploitation section i was like oh my god okay this is very cool and i remember Mm -hmm. walking the jaded you know like 40 year old like balding you know now me but uh jaded balding 40 year old guy like hey uh this section right here and he's like black exploitation and i was like yeah uh what should i watch from here <laughs> and he was like well you gotta start with uh superfly I'm like okay yeah yeah i know that one and then he's like have you ever seen coffee i'm like i have not seen coffee and so i brought that home and immediately it was just like yeah this is so cool and yeah. i mean i i go back to it a lot and um mm-hmm. because you know it's funny i i love action movies um like on about i have no problem mm-hmm. when people Action movies are sort of like the professional wrestling of movies where you have to really try to explain to some people why you like them. Um, Uh But for me, it's like the low budget ones are like somewhere. They remind me of like low budget horror films where you're like, to me, this is like the art of the of this sort of film because it's the director has to make it so badly that they're willing to like, Mm -hmm. be like, I'm going to do it on $50,000. Yes. Um, (laughs) And there's just something to to them to that end. Yeah. And Jack Hill was like one of the best at doing that. He, he was just, he was so, 
he had his his films no matter how low the budget is no matter how sort of skeezy the subject matter is they have such uh, an energy to them yeah. they have such wit about them they have such ingenuity like you're saying about them um and also just like he knew how to use Pam Greer he knew how to take advantage of all of the facets of her personality of all of her sort of copious charisma and and how to shoot her in such a way that she was like she was a movie star, which she was, even though, you know, she, she couldn't get cast like that in mainstream films. She was a movie star. And th- this movie made that really clear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Jason Diamond, what is the next film on your autobiographical chronological top five list for 1973 all right so this one is going to we should have talked about this before the show because i want to get his i always i have kind of gone back and (laughs) forth with his last name um and i've heard people say it different ways but i've settled that alejandro yadorowski uh alejandro yadorowski holy mountain Uh uh-huh Nothing in your education or experience can have prepared you for this film. Alejandro Jodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. The Holy Mountain is a film completely outside the entire tradition of motion picture art. Which I... Can't. It's a strange picture. It's a strange picture, Jason Diamond. <laughs> so here's the thing. I'm, I should have prefaced this. I have never seen this movie not under the influence. I've seen it three times. And I was on Mushrooms twice, and I was blazed out of my mind the third time. Um, and that's the only way I want to see it. Sure. Um, and, and so the reason this comes up at number two is very early on again this kind of goes into the discovery thing is because uh-huh. I, I i you know i'm a very curious person and i um like when i was around 16 17 i started like i started doing acid and i started getting really into like reading ram Dass and i started getting into like oh, i'm really into like mystical stuff this stuff's really cool like sure, uh, sure. weird esoteric you know and uh i remember this like again like one of the like cool older guys being like you should check out i he mispronounced it i think he said <laughs> like hadrowski or something like that he said it like that right and i was like i remember oh yeah yeah i think i've heard of him never had heard of him <laughs> never heard, of course not <laughs> yeah and then i go home and i remember like oh, yeah, my, i've been meaning to man yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i've uh oh yeah i like his early works um <laughs> I think I went home and like, I think in my, a couple days later in my dial up modem internet, I, I typed like how I thought his name was spelled. <laughs> so it was like H R O and couldn't find anything, but I was, he, the guy explained what, what the, again, this guy tried to explain the Holy mountain to me and <laughs> definitely was nothing like what i imagined when i saw it the first time which i was very high on mushrooms um sure but that said um i've read i first of all i also love his other i love el topo um i love reading about him and i love reading everything Mm -hmm. about his work and i love this is going to sound really um lame but i really i think on a um i don't know in terms of how the film looks I think it's sort of mm-hmm. somewhere in between 
uh 2001 and maybe suspiria for me like the mm-hmm. there's just shots and uh, <laughs> there are shots that i've gone and looked at and maybe i've had flashbacks to remembering it but they're so <laughs> like implanted in my head that i'm always like god he just had this like he has this vision that mm-hmm. i think a lot of people would love to sort of uh bottle up and sell at a nice market for a lot of money mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. he he just operates on a different level and just thinking about the movies just kind of gives me like a weird feeling because i'm like how did he like i don't think it was I, I think he probably did a lot of drugs well yes yeah yes that seems like a safe assumption yeah yes. if he was hanging out with the beatles he definitely did a lot of drugs um <laughs> but i think he just like you know, I've seen I've seen El Topo. I should mention uh, Stone Cold Sober. I'm a I'm mm-hmm. a big acid western fan, but The Holy mm-hmm. Mountain is just like this movie that I like to go back and read about um, mm-hmm. because just the way he made it, um, his vision yeah. for like trying to like turn this like weird idea that the Beatles wanted to give him money for to make into something that um became this sort of like weird cult hit years later right. with like the midnight movie stuff there's just like so much about yeah. it that doesn't make sense to me still and i like that there's a film that like has this sort of mystery to me that doesn't feel put on or corporate right. or like the dude is just a a a, a whack job like i shouldn't say that yes not a whack job no. but he is he's somewhere else and I'm not yes. there and we're not but there. I think and I appreciate that. Yeah. There's like at this point we have, you know, five thousand years of written storytelling, right? And sort of visual storytelling. And they really it crosses sort of culture and crosses sort of boundaries in a way that is very instructive. We only have a hundred years of movies and they've all sort of, you know, been based in the same most of them are based in the same culture cultural background you know and his movies feel like they are going to be made 500 years from now yeah Mm -hmm. or they were made 500 years ago or like it's one of those things those like useless things that i think about more often than i should is like Mm -hmm. what is movies going to be like in a thousand years when there's a thousand years of movies somebody's going to have more new ideas and it's just very rare that we get movies that feel so out of our time and this movie, I mean, his movies all do, but this movie especially doesn't feel connected to our reality in ways yeah. that are just, that's just fucking completely, that's really awesome. <laughs> really yeah. cool. No, that, that, that makes sense. Jason, did you, and I will ask, based on the age I'm guessing you were, that you're talking about here, did you see this on some sort of like, you know, shitty third gen bootleg Bootleg. situation bootleg it was a bootleg yeah uh but i remember that's the thing is yeah the jodo the the yodoreski movies i'm gonna say his name wrong um were for 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 quite some time until relatively recently very hard to see Mm -hmm. because uh alan klein who's a piece of shit on uh, several different levels uh just just held on to him just there would not let let them let him release his work and so for quite a while you had to see them on bootlegs and stuff i saw this one when that finally broke when they finally were were doing like official 
re restorations and, and re-releases. And wow. I saw this one at IFC center. So I got to see it for the first time on a big screen, uh, sober. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I, I, it was an experience. It was an, it was quite a memorable experience. I remember that. I remember when that happened. Uh, I saw, I think yeah. they also did El Topo. Oh, uh, definitely. And I saw, oh, yeah, I yeah, yeah. saw El Topo. Um, yep. I didn't, I, I was like, no, nah, you know, I'm not ready for, I don't think I want to sit down and do the Holy mountain in a theater. I don't know if it's, it's very personal. It's like, it's both of those films. They're just very intense. You know, you're, you're not sure what's going to happen. I don't, and it's crazy because I don't really, I I mean, I appreciate like surrealism and I, I I like, I, I, there's plenty of movies that are like very out there that I'm like, Oh, I under, I'm really, right. I'm really tapping into this. I'm really getting something out of this, but with it's just such a heavy experience for me to watch him because I don't know. It's like, you know, I remember finding out he's Jewish, you know, I'm Jewish. And I was like, Oh, he's a Chilean Jew. That's, that's, that's interesting. Like he's got these like layers and levels where he's into just all of these different things. And uh, like, if I could really be a little bit more, um, if I could be braver, I could try to maybe, see what he's been drinking all these the water he's been drinking all these years you're you're on some you're on some next some next level shit yes as they say um speaking of next level shit uh what is the third film on your uh autobiographical chronological list for 73 uh it's got it's gotta be marty uh yeah i'm I'm a marty boy yeah it does i'm a marty boy just dudes talking about marty uh it's gonna be mean Mm -hmm. streets Mm -hmm. Take a deep breath. Hear what the critics have to say about Mean Streets. Mean Streets deserves attention as one of the finer American films of the season, says the New York Times. Rolling Stone magazine calls it the most original American movie of the year. Newsday finds it exquisite, savage, and brilliant, while Pauline Kael of The New Yorker heralds it as a triumph of personal filmmaking. Mean Streets, from Warner Brothers. Rated R. No one under 17 admitted without parent. Yeah. It's going to be so crazy to be a podcast of, you know, three white guys talking about Martin Scorsese. But here we are. Um, when when did you first come across this in terms of uh, how much of his work you had seen when you saw this one? I would say I was around 19 or 20 and I was really starting to get more into like, you know, I I, I was really getting into I don't want to say film, I feel. But like I, I was I was really digging mm-hmm. deeper. Um, but yeah. I'd, I'd already come to the conclusion that Goodfellas, Raging Bull, uh, you know, King of Com- all these movies, I hadn't even seen After Hours yet, which is my favorite. Um, oh, and I, nice. I hadn't gotten to the point yet where I was like, oh, Age of Innocence is also a masterpiece. I wasn't like right. quite the Marty head I am now, but um, sure. I was really, I love De Niro and I love, um, uh, oh God, uh, why am I blinking? on uh can i tell yeah i love harvey i love harvey um (laughs) and so you know i was like oh yeah i should just rent this and i remember just being absolutely floored because it doesn't i don't know it's funny because i i went i went and watched um whatever his movies the the movies he did like in school where it's kind of like Mm -hmm. got that like european sort of like weird Mm -hmm. and to see that as his first like real like the the real and the beginning of marty is so interesting because yeah. it's it is really gritty but it's it doesn't like 
trade on anything like it's it's definitely him but like the humor mm-hmm. that kind of is there mm-hmm. in some of his other films isn't as noticeable it's got this kind of theme of like friendship and that i kind of appreciate in a way that like you know it's more cynical i think in like casino or goodfellas where you like you know people are going to mm-hmm. turn on each other um and then it's just i mean i could just go walk to half the places you see in the movie it's like yeah. all where he yeah. lived um uh-huh. it's just a cool movie and it i also love 1970s movie bars it's a very good movie bar my favorite detail about mean streets um is that because it was so low budget, he wasn't able to shoot the whole thing in New York. He had to like very selectively say, okay, well we can shoot this stuff on location and we're going to have to shoot a whole lot of it. You know, a lot of our interiors we're going to have to shoot in Los Angeles uh, so that he could afford to do it. So they shot all of the exteriors in New York and then they shot, and I love this detail, all of the apartment hallways were shot in New York because he said, you cannot yeah. fake New York apartment hallways uh, especially on the Lower East Side, in any other city anywhere, they only look like that here. So, th- so, so there are scenes where like people walk into an apartment, you know, walk through a hallway in New York and then walk through a door and they're in an apartment that was shot in Los Angeles. But he had to get the hallway uh, while he was in New York. Yeah, that, that's I love that. I love that because like you know, it's whenever I watch a movie, and I, I that's like the first thing that gets me feeling like it's like a, a real New York movie is when they're in one of those just mm-hmm. like dimly lit, just sort yep. of you know. That shitty tile. The yeah. the walls have been painted over seventeen times. Yeah, crying f- baby. Always a fucking crying baby. Maybe we somebody would- <laughs> somebody yelling in Spanish. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, Music playing too loud, three floors up. Yeah, you could you you got to people that. people will be that. like, is New York really like that? And you're like, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. Well, f- to move from a quintessential New York movie to a quintessential Los Angeles movie, wow. Jason Diamond, what is movie number four on the I, I did not list? even think about that. That is really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the the number four is the quintessential L.A. movie to me. It's The Long Goodbye by Robert Altman. I want you to take off your clothes. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I have absolutely nothing to hide either, but I'm not going to take my clothes off. Meet Philip Marlowe. Marlowe? Oh, nice to see you. No fancy pad, no flashy car, no big deal. Just an average guy who happens to be a private eye. Elliot Gould is Philip Marlowe in Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. A a a perfect movie. A perfect uh, uh a perfect Altman, a perfect Elliot Gould performance. Um Oh my! Oh, I, what do you love? What do you love so much about the Long Goodbye? I mean, first it's Elliot. Elliot's you know mm-hmm. one of my favorite actors. I mm-hmm. I uh, I stand for the for the hairy Jewish men of the nineteen seventies. But Elliot's <laughs> Elliot's you know different. Like I like I love Jimmy. I love Jimmy Kahn. I love Harvey Keitel. I love those guys. But like Elliot's just this like he's one of our truly great existential thinkers. He's such a weirdo. Uh, he's a brilliant mm-hmm. guy. And this movie is just him. It's he's really playing. He he really like figured out a way to turn this iconic character into his own thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I love I love noirs. And it's so funny mm-hmm. when like this one gets lumped in with other noirs. I mean, it is, but it's just like it 
sort of like how Yadorowski did it with like El Topo, where it was like uh, you knew what a Western was. And now you're like, well, maybe right. I don't. I think he just totally <laughs> they rewrote yes. the uh, the sort of idea yes. for the noir. Um, yeah, because they are, you know, because it's all. Yeah, it's all like blasted out direct sunlight. You know, it's all this like this, you know, sort of snazzily moving camera. Like it's all of these stylistic things that are not associated traditionally with noir or neo-noir. Um, but they're all present and it all still works. It all still makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's just like him mumbling things. God, and, you know, it's like it also is just like I to me, it's like this is the perfect thing about the 70s is that mm-hmm. kind of going back to what we were saying, the 70s aren't the 60s. And I don't mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying like literally like you're mm-hmm. out of the peace and love, the 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 kind of it's it's go- going away like Kennedy's long dead. Uh, you know, the age of innocence is way behind you. And I think by 73, it's like really starting to show. And this is like mm-hmm. the movie that really cements that for me. It's like he lives next to these like hot, naked, sort of like yoga chicks. Yeah. Yes. And he doesn't care. He's like, I'm so burnt yes. out. We're all so burnt <laughs> out. Like nothing. I just want to get my cat some food. Uh, yes. And it's it's just like there's something so beautiful about that and so sad and so now relatable i mean yeah it's just like i i've been telling people for a while i'm like i feel like we're entering our own kind of 70s right now where it's like the malaise and the sort of mm-hmm. um everything just feels bad we don't trust anybody mm-hmm. you know for good reason we don't trust you know our government we don't trust but you know it's like right uh right after the 70s were the 80s and everything was rah rah this is great and before the right. 70s you had the 60s when everything was like peace and love and we're gonna change the world yeah we're gonna take acid and, and have sex in a field and you know racism's <laughs> over um yeah but you know it's like it's funny because like this movie i remember watching it when i was like you know 21 maybe and i instantly mm-hmm. just like uh one of my favorite movies of all time is another 70s film uh, over the edge I think it's from 79. Mm-hmm. It goes it's either yep. 79 or 80. It depends on who you ask. But um, that to me is like the the perfect sort of like angry, bored 1970s. Uh, everything sucks. This country is falling mm-hmm. apart. Uh, and by that time, I think it was more, it's a, you know, it's a teen riot movie, this and that. But I think with the long goodbye it's like it's more nuanced it's more like subtle it's more like this is uh a movie about you know based off of a raymond chandler book but it's also sort of a commentary on just how bummed out we all are and there's just something incredible about like mash is sort of the same way where everyone thought it was like Mm -hmm. a movie about vietnam but it wasn't. That's that's the tricky thing about Altman that I really learned to respect. And I knew it took the yeah. long goodbye for me to understand that. All right. So that brings us to uh to to the to the most recent Wait, of your You're not yes. gonna say nothing about your book? You should say something about your book. Your book? I'll mention it in the after mention show. Your book. That's fine. It's a good book. Talk about books. I oh well, okay. I wrote a book about the seventies private eye yeah. revival. Um, which this was a very key piece of. So it's a, a huge part of the book and Elliot's on the cover. Uh, yeah, you know, it's called It's Okay With Me, which is uh, his catchphrase in the movie. And it's about why 
why suddenly so many filmmakers uh, were were drawn to telling stories of of iconoclasts and uh, outsiders uh, in the the private eye profession at that particular moment in uh, in American history and in film history. So there's a plug. It's there's the book. plug. Thank it's you, Mike. Book. Go buy That's it. Very kind book. of you to say. That's very <laughs> kind. Jason Diamond, what is the fifth and final film in the 1973 list? Uh, now that I'm saying these out loud i'm like god these are this is a weird i'm gonna sound like such a it is dick but uh, no you're oh my god number number five uh is actually one i saw earlier on but it only sort of really started to become an important like cornerstone in my film in my love of film like in my 20s and it's the wicker man the wicker man and what kind of mother are you that can stand by and see your own child slaughtered. Christopher Lee and Brett Eklund in Anthony Schaffer's tale of the ancient gods, a fable of unclean deeds and unholy places. God in heaven, even these people can't be that now. Time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. Oh my God! The winner grand prize at the Festival of Fantasy and Science Fiction Films in Paris, the Wicker Man. Rated R. Directed by Robin Hardy. Uh, I'm obsessed with this movie. <laughs> like it's really weird. <laughs> now, why are you? Why are you obsessed with it? Like what is what is the root of that? Well, it kind of goes back to like the you know it's. I love um, a certain like I love going back to how I was saying like oh I like horror films that or um, excuse me action films that you know look a little cheap like done on the cheap mm-hmm. or they're I love mm-hmm. a feel like I love. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know it's like vibes, a, somebody, if you will. What's that? Vibes, yeah, a, a vibe, yeah, yeah, if you will. And I mean, yes. I, I know, like yeah. you know, smarter film people could be like, oh, well, it was filmed this way, it was shot, and that's there are certain things I, I kind of am like, oh yeah, the that cinematographer, I like this, but when it comes sure. to vibes, to mm-hmm. me, the most impeccable vibes are like nineteen seventies UK horror, just mm-hmm. it, the, the feel of those kinds of movies. And the miniseries, yep. like there's like the Hammer House of Horror stuff also, and mm-hmm. uh, just unbeatable. And this time of year, yeah. we're recording this in October when it should be cold, but it, you know, isn't. Uh, <laughs> it's just to me, just like the greatest, like, oh, the vibe, the vibe of vibes. And this movie is like, mm-hmm. it's got it all. Um, it's mm-hmm. like the, I'm not, I, I hope I don't piss off any of your British listeners, but um, <laughs> to me, it's like the. Let it rip. Yeah, no, to me it's like uh I love I love uh British mini I love I love BBC stuff, I love adaptations, I love so mm-hmm. much that the the UK has given us. God bless you, UK. Mm-hmm. God bless the Queen. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. this is the best movie uh that's ever come out of uh the UK. That's that's my Dude, this movie it. is a journey. I had never seen this movie before. This is a first time watch for me. I appreciate Same. you bringing it to us. Yeah. Beginning of this movie, these are the scariest white people I've ever scariest. seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. In my life. And by the mm-hmm. end, you're like, whack the fucking cop already, this nosy <laughs> prick. This movie is a journey, dude. Yeah. You want and then when he is, then when he's going, it's the most horrific yeah. thing. And I remember watching yeah. I remember watching Midsummer and I was like, I've been through this. Um, <laughs> even though I love Mid- I do love Midsummer. I should I love yes. that movie. But I was like, this isn't scary, you dummies. Like, go see Wicker Man. 
Um, <laughs> but oh uh, god, not to spoil it. Hopefully, but um, yeah, it's just such. It is. It's a journey because you're like, yeah. oh, it's quaint, and they're in a pub, and they're singing. All mm-hmm. of a sudden, Brit Eklund is naked. And just like yeah. doing the most like erotic dance and like, what the hell is this? And it's like, okay, this is weird, but I like this. And then all of a sudden, like <laughs> it turns into all this weird pagan stuff. And you're like, oh, this is quaint. Mm-hmm. I think Maypole, <laughs> that's quaint. And then it's just, and then you're like, yeah. And then you start realizing how, oh, I fucking hate the cop. He's just such yeah. a dickweed. He's like the epit- epitome <laughs> of like just shitty. I don't know. Like busybody douchebag yes. christian <laughs> then when it's like when it's um revealed what his special trait is it becomes mm-hmm. so funny to me where it's like oh mm-hmm. god he's a virgin <laughs> like, i just remember watching it and thinking oh my god i'm yeah. sorry i feel like yeah. i'm gonna spoil this for anybody but like it's yeah it's got everything no, 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 no. I want. Knowing some basic facts about this movie does not spoil the watching of no, it. I don't right. think. No. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, and the soundtrack is just incredible. Um, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Christopher Lee's in it. You know, uh, you get Christopher Lee in anything. It. And I'm like, yeah, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Now, this was a first time watch for, for me as well. Just always one of those ones that's been on the stack that I've meant to see. Um, it's it's grotesquely entertaining yeah. that's the best that's the best way that i could that i can put it and still a vibe um, somehow somehow <laughs> somehow all right jason thank you for that killer top five yeah. uh let's find out what films were winning trophies and making money 50 years ago in 1973 here's mike with awards and box office sell out with me oh yeah sell out with me tonight this was such a great year, dude. I mean, it we really just was had that yeah, killer top five, and like we haven't even touched so many genuinely great movies. A lot of times, yeah. it's like, oh, we haven't talked about several of the movies on the Oscar list because yeah. they're shit. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but that's not what happened not in seventy three. Yeah, no. no. Uh, best picture, best director to George Roy Hill, best original screenplay to David Ace David S Ward for The Sting. Wow, The Sting is so fucking good. Like yeah. it is such a wild like. Oh, this movie won best picture and made a gajillion dollars, and it's fucking awesome. I, I like. I mean, you want to talk about a vibe, the vibe that's happening between Newman and Redford in this movie. Like, I just want to hang out with these guys forever. Just two of the hottest guys of all time. Yes. Like, yes. Just, just having a great time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't yeah. even imagine what that must have been like. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's and it's so smart and funny and fast and the costumes are incredible. It's got all that great Scott Joplin music. Yeah. I love the sting. Love it. One of the best posters, too. The poster that I remember, I I have a picture. Oh, God, I, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, beautiful. Best actor to Jack Lemmon for Save the Tiger. I haven't seen now, that one. That, that is one I still have not made my way to. Have you seen Save the uh, Save the Tiger, Jason? Dyer? No, I haven't. I like, I mean, I'm a big Jack Lemmon guy because I love Neil <laughs> yeah. Simon, but I have not yeah. seen that one. All right. Well, it's on all of our lists now. Best actress to Glenda Jackson for a touch of class. Yep. Loved love that's Glenda good. Jackson. Yep. Love love her in that one. That one's a lot of fun. It's it's that's a very sort of light comedy sort of thing to to win a best actress. But hey, hooray for that! Best supporting actor to John Houseman for the Paper Chase. Yes. Oh, the, I paper love the Paper Chase, chase. is good. 
That's an old that's, talk about your fall vibes. Yeah. That's a fall vibe. That's one of those movie movies right that I've taken a lot of so tweed style, like inspiration. <laughs> so much style inspiration. It's crazy. Best supporting actress to Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon. Paper Moon is so good. Yeah. It's so funny. It's so beautiful. It's so charming, and she's great in uh, it. I, and how old is she in that movie? 12, oh God, she was like, nine, yeah, 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 yeah. Some I, I will I will look it up while we while we carry on. But she was the youngest Oscar winner in history to that time when she when 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 she got that award. Uh, Anna Paquin, I believe, subsequently became the youngest for the piano. But uh, but yeah, carry carry on, and I will look that up. Best adapted screenplay to William Peter Blatty for The Exorcist. Goddamn right, pretty good. Oh yeah, pretty good. Oh yeah, that Exorcist. Yeah. That's that's a that's a decent motion picture. Yeah. Uh that I actually just rewatched cuz there's a new 4K out and I tell you what. Uh, good movie. Good movie. Oh, it's, good movie. Good movie. I, that movie to me is the rep. I, I, that you can't touch it. It's just like it's one of yeah. those things where it's like oh, I don't like Bob Dylan and the Beatles. It's like okay, you're an idiot. <laughs> like oh, I don't like the Exorcist. It's like dude, why are you talking to me? <laughs> it's yes. The, it yes. literally made people want to die like going to see that movie. Yes. The yeah. story I always heard about The Exorcist, and I heard this story for years before I ever actually was like allowed to see the movie, mm-hmm. is that my parents went to see it with a big group of friends, you know, went to see it opening weekend with a big group of friends, and one of them was a friend of theirs named Greg Seidel. And after the movie, Greg Seidel went around in his big 70s van and dropped everybody off at home and then just drove around until the sun came up because he was so scared of the fucking exorcist that he could not go to sleep and, you know, was afraid he was going to be possessed, I guess, by the movie. He, you know, this man might have had some sin in his background that he was reflecting on that (laughs) night. But I heard that story for years before I ever saw the movie to the point that it felt ridiculous. And then Uh I saw the movie and I was like, fuck, I need to get a big van and a tank full of gas. Tatum O'Neill was 10. She was 10 years old when she won that Oscar. There Uh, we go. Can I just say, I saw The Exorcist once in a theater and this goes back to the high fidelity thing. It's Mm -hmm. the theater that John Dillinger was shot outside of, which John Cusack and it's haunted. And I saw the midnight Uh showing around like october when i was 18 and i was the only person in the theater and it was a horrifying experience (laughs) i was terrified and i'm jewish and i don't i don't care about hell there's nothing no hell to me (laughs) i'm like crossing myself i'm like dude oh my god please god that was terrifying that's whatever it takes whatever it takes Uh, best foreign film went to day for night Truffaut's Day for yep. Night was I I think maybe the first foreign film I ever saw. Oh, it was nice. on it was on A and E when I was really first myself getting into seventies movies back when A and E was like arts and entertainment yeah. and they showed like foreign films. And uh, yeah, I watched Day for Night because Roger Ebert gave it four stars in the Video Home Companion, and it's great. Wow, it's great. And I went back and rewatched it. I don't know four or five years ago. Still great. That Truffaut, he he could make a motion picture. He knew how to do things. Some other significant award winners. You've heard of some of these movies, I guarantee yeah. it. Golden yeah. Globe for Best Picture Comedy Musical went to American Graffiti. 
American Graffiti also came out this year, everybody. Like that's how <laughs> that's how deep the fucking bench is for '73. Is it's you know nearly an hour into the show, we're like, oh yeah, American Graffiti, which is still great, so good, it's so good. I always wonder, is that the movie that started the sort of like boomer look back ending where it's like, oh totally, I love that, totally, I lo- I'm obsessed yeah. with that trope, like, like right, yeah, but. Th- the thing that's crazy about it, though, like I, I, I'm, I'm stealing a tweet or something or, or a skeet or from, from somebody recently, but like this was such a, such a good point. The thing too to keep in mind though is that like this movie came out in '73, and it's like looking back with all of this nostalgia for a time that was 11 years oh, earlier. Yeah. That was like a completely different time where everyone looked and sounded completely different. And, the, you know, the, the all the fashion was different and the music was all different and the cars were all different. Whereas if you made that movie now, it would be set in like 2012. Um, like, um, wow, imagine how nostalgic and what, what an alien world it would be if we tried to replicate 2012 in a major motion picture. It would just be us at Flavorwire. It would. It would. Wow. Sitting around on those terrible tables that we were supposed to work at. Yeah, that I always yeah, I had back I had literally had back back issues because of that. Yes. And I got yes, a massive same. splinter in my finger because Yeah. <laughs> we could talk about that's a whole that's our that's our podcast. There Just we go. Flavor talk. Yes. Jason Jason and Jason's Jason, flavor yeah. talk. Talk about a deep fucking bench, bro. Golden Globe for Best Actor Drama to Al Pacino for a little movie called Serpico. Holy shit. Wow. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. Serpico. Fucking and he was try, thing try to beat before, it. And a yeah. thing the year after. Yep. Yeah. He yeah, was yeah. pretty good in, too. Yeah. Yeah. He's in, a, he's in another thing this year, too. You'll get to that in a sec. <laughs> Golden Globe for Best Actress Drama to Marsha Mason for Cinderella Liberty. Good movie, like Marsha Mason, a lot. BAFTA for Best Actor to Walter Matthau, tied with Pete and Tilly for Charlie Varick. Wow. We're uh, we're just going to back pocket Charlie Varick for a minute because it's going to come up at the at the very end of the show. I, I like that Lemon and Matthau could win awards separately yeah. from each other. Good, good for them. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that. Yeah. But I love this too, that BAFTA was like, so into like doing, t- we've had a few of these BAFTA ties. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Pete and Tilly, which was a 1972 movie. He's also very good in, and that's much more of a, of, I guess, a dramatic as opposed to the action work of, of Charlie Berg. BAFTA for best supporting actor went to Arthur Lowe for Oh, lucky man. I've never seen Oh, lucky man. I, but I know that video that, that VHS cover with, I, I want to say it's like Malcolm McDowell. Mm. Looking, oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You know the face. one. You, yeah, that face and the hat. Yep, you know the one. Yep. Tied for the Palm d'Or at Cannes were Scarecrow and the Hireling. Now I've never seen the Hireling, but Scarecrow is a really. I think people are finally starting to find Scarecrow. This is Pacino and Gene Hackman. Oh wow! Um, directed by Jerry Schatzberg who directed, uh, well, first of all, friend, friend of the previous pod, uh, guy I interviewed for the fun city book, but who also, because he directed panic and needle park. So like, this was the kind of the guy that like gave Pacino his first starring role in a movie. And then Pacino went and became a star. So he came back and did a, another movie with Jerry Schatzberg, but also with Gene Hackman. And they're just like a couple of just sort of, uh, transients who are traveling America and the cinematography is incredible. Uh, I want to say it's a Vilmos Zygmunt. It's really good. I got to see. It's really good. Yeah. I've got to see this. Yeah. I've been trying to watch every Hackman 
I, I can mm, watch. God, that's a job. I would love to watch. That's every, a full-time job. Just like a whole year of Hackman. The Golden Bear at Venice went to Distant Thunder. I have not seen that one. Okay. Box office top 10. Number 10, Serpico. Yay. See, Serpico made money. How you like that? Number nine, Paper Moon. See, good movies made money in 73. Uh, number eight, Robin Hood. That's the uh, that's the Disney Robin Hood oh. that uh, that has so sexually confused so many women around our age. Uh, I, I reference that movie once a week. Sir Hiss <laughs> is the funniest Disney character in the world to me. Oh God, God, yeah. Number seven, Live and Let Die. That's, uh, that's, a that's Bond a James like. Bond. That's picture. a Bond I like. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Good Bond. Good, really good theme song. Yep. Paul McCartney, Wings, the band the Beatles should have been. Number six, Magnum Force. Now, I Magnum Force is that might be it might be my favorite of the Dirty Harrys. I think it's such an interesting example of um, the sequel that's reactive to the original. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the original was in some ways fairly sort of branded as this sign of reactionary prop, you know, propaganda sort of thing. And so Magnum force is about him, like trying to stop like a crew of fascist cops. Um, it's really good. It's really a good, just bruiser, you know, seventies action picture. I'm a big I'm a big Dirty Harry guy, so it's uh, yeah. I'm a fan. I didn't. Re- I actually, it's funny because I never hear anybody talk about that one, uh, uh-huh. unless they're like a big. I, I don't know many big Dirty Harry fans, but like <laughs> uh, I remember watching that one pretty early on. I think like it was on yeah some edited version, and I was like, this is pretty dope. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is pretty dope. Number five, a bit of a left turn here. The way we were. Uh, yes. this is my most, this is my most shocking blind spot on, on the top 10. I've, st- I, I've never seen the way we were and I've, I've, I've intended to, uh, Jason, do you like the way we were? Okay. Yeah. Can I just say the, uh, there was a chance of this making my top five and then ah, I was like, nice. it would be so weird if I threw this in between like Holy Mountain <laughs> and Wicker Man. Uh, and then it would just be like one of those things where people would be like, he's messing with sure. us. But first of all, Bobby Red. Once again, Robert Redford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. Sydney, and then I'm I I'm a Babs guy. Like, yeah, <laughs> we can talk about yeah. Elliot all day, but I my nana and my mom raised me on Barbara Streisand, <laughs> and um, this is to me. I think I I actually love Prince of Tides. I love a lot of her mm-hmm. work. I love Yentl. Same, but this movie Same. I think is the one that I I go deepest on. Where I'm like, oh, it's got a. Th- it's it's about something I'm really interested in, and it's um, mm-hmm. it's it's a great film. It's I think it's actually mm-hmm. I think a lot of her work is underrated. Um, I think I it's agree. the Barbara Streisand effect, whatever they call it. But <laughs> um, but I, I I think this is like I don't know. I don't think it's her best film, but to me, it's my favorite movie she's in. Next to Yen. There we go. Number four, Papillon. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's Papillon is great. Hoffman, Steve McQueen, they're in prison. Oh, they're breaking I, out of prison. I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Nope. Oh, it's good shit. It's good shit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's a good movie. Yeah. Number three, American Graffiti. Great. Right. Number yep. two was The Sting. Great. Already gotten plenty of love. And number one was The Exorcist. Great, great, great. Good. Because if just... you drive around all night in a van, you got to yep. go back next week. There we go. People people just like right. seeing movies in 1973. What happened? They did. They liked seeing they liked seeing good movies. Yeah. They wanted to see some 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 challenging. Oh, I'm not going to get nostalgic. <laughs> Jason Diamond, you ready to do a lightning round? Yes. 
We've covered okay, all of them so already. We, it's so messed up. No, there's even I know, more. I know. I'm looking at this. I'm looking at many more great movies on this list. You know how it goes. Five minutes on the clock. Uh, say a quick word if you got something to say. Pass if you don't. Here we go. Nicholas Rogue's Don't Look Now. Great movie. Oh, my God. All time. I, I it Psychological thriller movie kind of stuff. Like, And also that's... Uh, 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 Sutherland. Yeah, Sutherland. Julie Christie. One of he Sutherland in the 70s up until like uh ordinary people, some of the best looks. Just like yes. all across the board and that's just like one of the best. Yes. Uh a fellow named Bruce Lee made a movie called Enter the, the Dragon. Dragon. Yeah. Another I mean again that kind of goes into the whole like when I was getting into the black exploitation stuff. The name Bruce Lee was something that I was I was familiar with his name, but then seeing that for the first time I was like Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah holy crap like this is yeah. this is art like, like this is the most beautiful thing i've ever seen like i thought it was just gonna be fighting and the yeah. way he moves and the way you're just like this is insane i'm yeah <laughs> i can't believe a human being could do this we've talked about a lot of the patron saints of the 70s cinema we haven't talked about jack yet and he put out a picture called the last detail in 1973 and he was that was i think that one was uh he was nominated for that one too. I think like people love that movie when it came out and yeah, it's just kind of fallen by the wayside. And I remember going to the video store when I was a kid and always seeing the Jack with the, uh, the cigar and the Navy hat. And I'm like, that's the coolest looking movie I've ever yeah. seen. Um, yeah. And when I finally got to see it, I was like, yep, it's a pretty good movie. It's uh, yep. you know, Hal Ashby is my boy. So um, yeah, big fan. Woody Allen's sleeper. So, uh, can, is this, is this a, is this a safe space to say, uh, you know, mm -hmm, I, I was mm -hmm. raised on, <laughs> I was raised on yep. wood. Um, yep. And I like yep. when he does, I mean, uh, most of the stuff he does is like a tribute to somebody, but, um, mm -hmm. this is such a weird one because it's like, it's all like the, you know, like slapsticky Buster Keaton kind of stuff that he's into, but the mm -hmm. way he does it, it's, I don't know. It's so it's kind of off to me. So it's like not one of my favorites, but okay. it's one of the earliest ones I ever remember seeing. The last of Sheila. Okay. This was going to be in the top five. Uh, oh. Another favorite genre of mine is mm -hmm. fabulous people stuck together and somebody <laughs> gets murdered. Clue is one of my, yes. Clue is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, yes. a couple of years ago, somebody told me to see this. They're like, uh, they're on a boat. Uh, they all mm -hmm. look wonderful. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, okay, yeah, sure. Maybe I'll check it out. Then I was like, oh wait, Richard Benjamin's in it. I should see every movie with him in it. Um, <laughs> and it's just everything I could imagine. It's like, it's yeah. Agatha Christie meets the love boat meets. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, it's late. I don't know. That's just what I'm going to say. It's such a good fucking movie. It really is. It really is. Uh, another De Niro picture for 73, Bang the Drum Slowly. Yeah. So, okay, this is another one that it, I think in the Chicagoland area, you're sort of like made to watch this at some point. So <laughs> you just sort of like, I don't know what it is about it, but like everybody I know has seen this movie. And I think it's because uh, baseball movies are just like on all the time like on WGN mm -hmm. or on sport when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. So it was like this, the natural, um, fuck what else? There was a few others. And I remember like 
thinking that this was something I thought there was a movie. I, this is going to sound so bad, but there was a movie about the AIDS crisis and the band played slowly. Yes. And the band played on. Yeah. Right. And I thought this was that. So I had, I had to pick, I had to go get a movie and do a report on the AIDS crisis. And I went and got, <laughs> I thought this was it. And I went and got bang the drums slowly. <laughs> And I'm like, first of all, this is 1973. I'm a kid. I'm I'm like 15 or 16. I don't know. And I remember watching this and going, wait, does this, do they invent AIDS in this movie? What's going to, what's happening? It was so terrible. I'm like, wow, I've, I've really gotten way too into the weed that, 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 that that didn't, um, that didn't dawn on me sooner. Clint Eastwood had two pictures in 73, High Plains Drifter and Breezy. Breezy. Which one's Breezy? It's a May-December romance thing that he only directs. He is not in. I have not. Wow. I have not seen. <laughs> have you seen that? Is it good? Yeah, yeah, it is good. It's it's. I want to say William Holden. And it was the inspiration for the movie within the movie that Alana Hyam is auditioning for in Licorice Pizza. Oh, my God. Well, no, I have to go see it um deep cut high plane high plane drifter then i've seen it i think uh it's not it's not like one of the italian ones right it's just it's like an american western now yep Uh, maybe i haven't seen it then i don't know i should see it pat garrett and billy the kid there you go that's an all-time great um first of all just like one of the greatest soundtracks of all time um yes you just can't it, it goes back to like what i was saying like you don't like dylan um but the guy who wrote it i mean i like i like peck and paw i'm i'm kind of fascinated with him uh but the guy who wrote it um rudolph wolitzer is one of those guys who sort of tapped in in the way like i was talking about jodorowsky earlier like i've read his novels and he's just like he's sort of like um uh thomas pinchon for people who are like oh thomas pinchon's a little dumb like no 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 that's that's a bit mean way of saying it but it, nobody says that uh but mm-hmm. he is he he was like just sort of like the indie thomas pinchon like nobody knew who he was mm-hmm. but everyone who n- knew their shit knew who he was and uh mm-hmm. he ended up writing this movie that i think people hated when it came out if i yes yes correct yeah but it's like to me it's just like the most stacked from top to bottom, everything you could ask for in a movie. Um, yeah. Untouchable. Beautiful. All right. That concludes our lightning round. Thank you, Jason Diamond. Excellent work. Uh, we're going to throw it to our friend W. Axel Foley for a quick PSA. Head on over to your favorite podcasting app. Give us a star, a rate, a review. Give us a written review and tell us that you love us because that's what lets people know that we're here. All right, sir, where can people follow you on social media and read your work? That question used to be so easy once upon a time. Didn't it? Yeah. Wasn't it? I'm, Wasn't that? I'm, I'm nice slowly getting off time? of um off of the uh the fascist Nazi circle jerk website. Uh so you can find me there. I'm 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 at I'm Jason Diamond. I am Jason Diamond on everything. Instagram, uh Blue Sky. <laughs> I hate, I can't even say blue sky with a it's like I don't want to go through this again. Uh I love threads. That's a new that's a new nightmare. Um <laughs> uh but yeah, my my um 
my Substack is called The Melt by Jason Diamond. It has a very long URL that I don't even remember anymore, but somehow a lot of people follow it, and that's great. Um, yep. I write yep. for GQ. We'll link it. I'm everywhere. There we go. I'm in the room. I, I will now. say, read read Diamond stuff. You know, follow wherever you like. But I I really find you to be one of my favorite Instagram follows, just because he jason is always finding just you know obscure fun stuff or he's sharing just like you know here's 10 pictures of like robin williams's best summer looks and like they're all great and you're just like thank you for bringing those to my attention jason when i found last the other night i was like looking at something because i research a lot i'm always in the archives yeah i found um stanley tucci in 2001 and i'm like (laughs) this is god level like this is yes we have reached a new plateau of cozy like stanley tucci in a barn coach with like he's like he's he's raking hay i'm like this is definitely someone's fetish first of all this is fall content yeah that's somebody's gonna like get really horny looking at this but me i'm just like this is the level i want to get to yes bald and hot I am Fun City Cinema on Instagram, Jason Dash Bailey on Blue Sky and Letterboxd, where you can find under my list the top fives for every episode of the show. Mike, where can people find you? I am at Brainwashed Lib on Twitter, at Fifth Column Films on Blueski. I talk to a lot of, I've been talking to a lot of Ukrainians and they keep calling it Blueski. I agree. That's great. It's like, like Brewski. Hilarious yeah, it's, and it's endearing. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. And so I've just yeah. adopted it. There we go. I like that. Uh, we're also on Substack as uh, as well, a very good year.substack.com, where paid subscribers get bonus episodes and bonus writings and bonus stuff. Mike, before we go, what is your favorite movie of 1973? Oh, I'm so excited for this one because this one's a, a new one for me. And I was like, you know, how are you going to find? Surely, yeah. like, there's not another movie no. that's as good as no. Wicker Man. Surely right. there's not another. You know what I mean? Yeah. Surely there's no movie as good as the exorcist that i haven't seen and then i found le grand bouffe okay the big feast have you ever Uh seen le grand bouffe i've not no but the name is enough yes imagine like 1970s orson welles was somehow supposed to direct solo but instead of (laughs) making about fucking and murdering children he turns it into a movie about four french guys who go to lock themselves in a chateau and eat themselves to death okay this movie is amazing and and it might just be i am not a catholic priest uh, you know, I'm never. Not. There's nothing. It's true. About, this is accurate. There's nothing about not a paper a moon that 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 is resonates with my life. But mm-hmm. the idea of locking myself in a French chateau with three of my best friends and cooking ourselves to death—that shit is right up my alley, bro. That is exactly what I want to do. Is this presented is, in a comic, like comedic way? I. No, there's funny stuff. Yeah, good. But it's not a comedy, bro. It's and you know this is part of like I am a person who is. Like, I actually read 120 Days of Sodom all the way to the very end where it's not writing anymore. It's just yeah. notes about the fucked up shit that they do. Like, and so this, it's it's a French movie and they are sort of taking that that Marquis de Sade setup 
but not doing the Marquis de Sade thing with it, you know, but it is philosophical. It is internal. It is about their relationships. In the meantime, they're all eating themselves to death. So like the first hour of the movie is just all this amazing cooking and eating. They get some prostitutes to come over and the prostitutes eventually are like, all you guys want to do is eat and they all leave. But for like the first hour, it's like boobs and French food. It's amazing. And then for the last hour, they shit themselves to death. It's an incredible it is an incredible <laughs> fucking movie. I've never seen oh anything my. like it. Like Grand Boof. It is there's a really good uh version of it actually subtitled in English on a website called fduppmovies.com. Uh it's the only place I was able to find it, but it's actually the perfect place to watch there you it. Go. Uh Le Grand Boof cannot recommend it highly enough. <laughs> Especially after the list that we've gone through tonight. Cannot recommend I, I it. I can't wait to be enough. like Babe, you watched one movie from 1973 <laughs> with me once. It was, and there's going to be a second movie you're going to watch with me from 1973. It's Le Grand <laughs> <laughs> And it's a, what part of what's really amazing is what they do with their friends when they start to die. And what they, it, they don't start, they don't eat them. I'm just going to okay. tell you that now because that's a reasonable expectation sure. considering everything else the movie's sure. about. But. Yeah, it's Le Grand Bouffe. Never seen anything like it. How about you, Bailey? Uh, we mentioned it before, and, and I said to back pocket it, but Charlie Varick is just like, is such a fucking blast. It's This is the first of the Mathau straight-up crime film trilogy, um, which, yeah. as we know, culminated with one of the great movies ever, The Taking of Pelham 123, uh, in 1974. <laughs> but it, it began in 73 with with two films, one called The Laughing Policeman, and the other one was this film by, uh, by the great Don Siegel. This is what he was directing while somebody else was directing a sequel to his Dirty Harry. This was the movie he was like, I want to make this oh. movie instead of another Dirty Harry movie. And it is a... I mean, there is nothing remotely comic about Matthau's work in this movie. Like you can see the, you know, the 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 sort of crumbs of his comic persona in Pelham One Two Three. It's one of the things that makes that movie so enjoyable. But in this movie, he is he's not playing a cop like he does in Laughing Policeman and, and in Pelham. He's playing a criminal. He's playing a good tough professional take no shit criminal he's a bank robber the movie begins with him robbing a bank at this sort of remote you know southwestern bank uh kind of out in the middle of nowhere in the desert and then he and his partner get back at you know to sort of count their loot they pull it off flawlessly they're very good they're professionals and they discovered they've stolen way more fucking money than they should have and the reason they've stolen way more money than they should have is that this was a mob bank and so now they have way too much of the mob's money and Jason <laughs> Diamond, do you know who the mob sends to get that money back from Walter Matthau? Uh, uh, from from Breakfast Club. No, they send a gentleman by the name of Joe Don Baker. That's who comes into Charlie Varick. <laughs> and so this movie is Walter Matthau versus Joe Don Baker as directed by Don Siegel. And if that's not a hard enough sell for you, you're listening to the wrong show. Who's, who's the guy they have? No, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Animal House. They have somebody from Animal House in the movie. Oh, John Vernon is sure in that movie. Yeah. Yes, he sure is. Yes, he yeah, sure I is. I was like, is it? Is it, it was like animal. It was like some. Oh my god! Now yeah. I know. Oh yeah. my god! That is an incredible movie. It is. I it's, was like, wait, is it? Do, who do they have? And then I was like, oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, my they god! Sure it do. is. They I sure really do. actually had never even put it together that it's part of the trilogy. Yeah. And I was like, I, Taken Pelham is like one of the greatest movies ever. Sure but is. I didn't even think about the chronology of like, oh yeah, yeah. that was Mathau's 
action period. This was two years where he only made these three action movies, and then he went back to making comedies, but I'm glad he had a good what, time. What an amazing time that was. Yeah. Well, Walter Matthau <laughs> yes, was an a, action is, hero. Yeah. yeah. Could you even... Um, the man literally looks like a dead fish. The the magic <laughs> of 1970s cinema. Thank you again for coming on the show, Jason Diamond. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Jason. And thank you for listening. It was a very good year.